Today is Thursday, December 28th, 2023, and this is a Daily Inc. update. This is day three of a five-day series on major stories occurring here in the U.S. in the past couple of years that in 2023 took a 180 turn once the actual facts came out to the public. Before those facts and evidence could be presented, the mainstream media dutifully fell in line in presenting a well-crafted and unified narrative to the American public in order to create a certain perception and conclusion about what actually happened. In the last report I did, the story that I presented was the 2020 presidential election, which is an ongoing discovery of various forms of election fraud in various states. This is all coming out much to the chagrin of those who wanted the 2020 election to never be questioned and for everyone to move on and accept the leadership coming from the person in the White House. Now, January 6th and the millions of Americans that showed up in Washington, D.C. to protest was a direct result of the 2020 election. Millions refused to deny what they witnessed on the night of the election returns or in the following days where mail-in ballots were counted and amazingly whittled away at Trump's massive lead in five swing states or the testimony and affidavits of many election workers in swing states on how election laws and procedures were altered or not followed or outright ignored. January 6th was an event based on questioning the results of the 2020 election and demanding action from Congress. It also became an event that was used by those who did not want to look any further into the election to portray MAGA supporters in a very bad light, all as a result of a minority of people who behaved violently at the Capitol building. For three years now, Democrats have likened January 6th to the equivalent of 9-11 and Pearl Harbor all rolled into one. The supporters of President Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol building. Thousands storming the Capitol. This mob that stormed the Capitol. Stormed the Capitol. Stormed the Capitol. Stormed the Capitol. Stormed the U.S. Capitol building. Stormed the United States Capitol. And they've tried to paint any Trump supporter as an extremist and insurrectionist who is a danger to society and democracy until this year, when a few things happened that turned this narrative on its head. First of all, Tucker Carlson was able to view raw footage of what happened in the Capitol building, and then he reported on it, using the case of Jacob Chansley as the perfect example of how the majority of J6ers behaved. Here's video of Chansley in the Senate chamber. Capitol Police officers take him to multiple entrances and even try to open locked doors for him. We counted at least nine officers who were within touching distance of unarmed Jacob Chansley. Not one of them even tried to slow him down. Chansley understood that Capitol Police were his allies. Video shows him giving thanks for them in a prayer on the floor of the Senate. Carlson was summarily fired from Fox News within days of that report. He then went on to re-interview the former chief of the Capitol Police, Stephen Sund, and he did so as an independent journalist because Fox News would not air that interview with Sund after he was fired. What Sund revealed to Carlson was the strange void of any intelligence on such a big event coming to the Capitol, as has been done in the past for countless other political protests as well as planned events. But coming into it, absolutely zero with the intelligence that we know now existed, talking about attacking the Capitol, killing my police officers, attacking members of Congress and killing members of Congress. None of that was included in the intelligence coming up to. That you received. Correct. But others received that intelligence. Well, we now know FBI, DHS was swimming in that intelligence. We also know now that the military seemed to have some very concerning intelligence as well. It's hard to overstate how strange that is because you were in charge of the actual facility that was the focus of the of the protest. 
Well, th- think about it. I'm the chief of police at the United States Capitol, probably one of the most prominent and should be the most secure building in the United States in the world. You know, you'd like to think of that. But when you look at it and, and don't take my word for it, look at there's now four, at least four congressional reports talking about the intelligence failure. IG reports, GAO reports talking about various intelligence failures. Uh, but coming into it, you know, think about it. FBI, the Washington field office didn't put out a single document, a single official document specific to January 6th. DHS didn't put out a single official document uh, specific to January 6th. That's very unusual. I've been through many other events in Washington, D.C. FBI would host a uh, joint conference call at the least, maybe a executive uh, JTTF, Joint um, Joint Terrorism Task Force briefing, or an for all these big events, they, they, DHS and FBI would get together and put out something that was called a JIB, a Joint Intelligence Bulletin, zero for January 6th. The Sund interview also exposed the anomalies in reaction that was coming from those who had the power to take preventative moves long before the J6 rally and during the actual breach of the Capitol building and how the lack of action was strangely out of sync with past behavior from the very same people who are in charge of protecting the Capitol building. It doesn't make sense. Think about this. On January 5th, the day before the attack at 1 p.m., I think it's 1 or noon, um, I had a conference call with the leaders of all the law enforcement, um, Conti from uh, Metropolitan Police Department, uh, Steve D'Antuano, the um, director of the Washington Field Office for the FBI. Nobody from DHS was on. I had thought about that. But all the law enforcement that was down there, I had the military district of Washington, General Omar Jones, on the phone with me. I had the uh, head of the National Guard, uh, William Walker, General William Walker, on the call. It was a call I coordinated. Not one person on that call talked about any concerns for the the intelligence, the attack on the Capitol, the threats to officers uh, that we were seeing that was out there. That's what's that's what's scary. Congress passed a law. It's two U.S. Uh, code 1970. Look it up. Uh, just make sure you look it up before December 22 when they changed it. That requires me to go and get approval for bringing in National Guard or fe- federal assistance in advance. I have to go to the Capitol Police Board and get approval from congressional leadership in advance, like I did on January 3rd. I'm denied twice because of optics and because the intelligence didn't support it. So think about that. Let me ask you, who made that decision? Who denied you? Uh, I was denied by Paul Irving, House Sergeant Arms, uh, and also Mike Stinger, uh, Senate Sergeant Arms. And who do, on they January 3rd. who do they work for? Uh, it would have been a, uh, working for Pelosi on the House side. That Pelosi was his number one boss. And then uh, McConnell on the Senate side. Ah, so, so me, effectively, Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi shut down your request. It, it's it's unbelievable that I'm I'm the only chief of police in the United States that has a law preventing me, not just regulations, rules that say I got to go and get approval to bring in the National Guard. A law. So that's crazy that Congress is going to pass a law that controls what I can do to protect the Capitol and even in emergencies. So think of this: even while we're under attack, I have to go to those same two people to request the National Guard to be brought in. 12.58, I make my first call to the sergeant arms asking, saying, hey, it's bad. We need assistance. I need a declaration of emergency. I need to bring in the military immediately and federal resources. I'm told by Paul Irving, quote, I'm going to run up the chain. I'll get back to you. The, the, chain, the chain is Pelosi. The chain is, his chain would be up to Nancy Pelosi. He didn't have to do that, but he wouldn't give me authorization. The, the law says in emergency, he can grant me authorization, but he didn't. Sund also spoke about the aftermath of the J6 event and the oddball calls from Nancy Pelosi for him to lose his job. And if that were not odd enough, Pelosi then sought to promote the very person who was responsible for obtaining intelligence on Capitol events to replace Sund. Um, I was begging for the National Guard, refused before, refused during it. Um, We get the uh, Capitol under control. 
you know, I get them to where they can go back into session, 7.30, they elect to go in at 8, and then the House goes in at 9. But nonetheless, so think about this. The very next day, less than 24 hours after we got control of the, of the um, Capitol, Nancy Pelosi goes on national TV, blames the leadership at the top of Capitol Police, calls for my resignation on national TV, and then lies about me. Okay? The very next day, the very next day, puts it, Yogananda Pittman as acting chief. But Yogananda Pittman, uh, you just described her as the head of intelligence for Correct. Capitol Police. Correct. So if there was an intelligence failure, which again, doesn't seem like a failure, it seems very intentional to me, but if there was such a failure, she'd be responsible, correct? Or she'd be in the chain of responsibility anyway. Well, I mean, she was, she was the head of intelligence. So if there's intelligence <laughs> failure, see, my thing is do a proper analysis. You know, you know, why do a knee jerk reaction? I mean, putting her in charge, I mean, she ended up getting a, a vote of no confidence. So she didn't get the position from the, uh, from the police officers because many were upset with what happened. Uh, so she, where, where did she wind up? Where is she now? Yeah. She's chief of police for the University of California, Berkeley. Interesting. So right across from Nancy Pelosi's district. That is correct. In the sir. Bay Area. That is correct. So you just kind of take the Bay Bridge over there and that's. Yeah. The other game changer this year in this well-crafted narrative was the full release of unedited security footage of that event. Tens of thousands of hours showing that the vast majority of those on Capitol Hill were simply protesting and that the Capitol Police whipped up the crowds by shooting rubber bullets, flashbangs and tear gas at them for no apparent reason. Those who did enter the building walked into doors that had been initially unlocked and opened from within, not broken down by wild rioters. The vast majority of the MAGA crowd strolled around the hallways in the building, casually acting like tourists rather than vandals or rioters or wild insurrectionists, as presented by mainstream media. Investigative journalist Laura Logan has also conducted a series of very eye-opening interviews on the events surrounding January 6th and those within Congress who are working to uncover the truth, that can all be found at the Truth and Media website. In conclusion, I am going to stick with Tucker Carlson and his recent Instagram video post about why this continued push in mainstream media to paint January 6th a certain way and how that's all shedding light on a bigger game afoot within the mainstream media, the Democrat Party, and the deep state. Whatever else January 6th was, and in some ways we still don't know exactly what it was, it was not a Trump-led insurrection. The crowd had no guns. They had no plan to overthrow the government. Nothing like that has ever emerged. And above all, Trump was not leading it. He was miles away at the White House at the time, where he issued a public statement calling for calm and nonviolence. So why were the people on television telling us that Trump led an insurrection. This was, of course, a lie, but it was also a very obvious lie. So clearly we were watching the rollout of a talking point, words crafted for a specific purpose. But what was the purpose? We got an answer to that question yesterday when the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that because he led an insurrection, Donald Trump's name cannot appear on the state's ballot next fall. The four liberal judges who concluded this cited as their justification Article 3 of the 14th Amendment, which was written in 1868 to keep former Confederate officials from holding office. That was the sum total of their reasoning. Despite the fact Donald Trump has never been convicted by any court of insurrection, and although the 14th Amendment specifically does not apply to the presidency, Donald Trump cannot run for president because he's an insurrectionist.
These national story updates have been brought to you by Open Inc., a website that is a repository of documents for those who like deep digging, critical thinking, and true journalism where the facts speak for themselves. Up next, a preview of what is coming and what is available on the Open Inc. website. Well, before we continue with part three of an interview about January 6th, I do want to bring some breaking news that was first revealed by the Gateway Pundit this past Wednesday. It's regarding an election case out of Georgia. There has been a years-long lawsuit slowly moving its way through the court system in that state. It's a lawsuit that challenges the accuracy and cybersecurity of the Dominion voting systems, which has been installed throughout the entire state ever since Georgia Governor Brian Kemp was the Secretary of State. That lawsuit has been delayed and held up by Judge Amy Totenberg for several years now and only saw some movement recently this past summer. That is when the Halderman report was unsealed by the judge. Now, John Halderman is a professor at Michigan University, and he's also a computer science and engineering expert who was tasked with finding the vulnerabilities of the Dominion voting system ImageCast X system, which is what's used in Georgia, and that he did. The Halderman report, released in 2020, shows that vote totals can be changed on Election Day by way of hacking. Georgia's current Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger has known the contents of that report and what Halderman and his team of experts were able to do within the Dominion software in exploiting its vulnerabilities, which they determined was very easy, and the whole software was rife with vulnerabilities. Yet Raffensperger has not taken any steps to remedy the problems or to install simple security patches into the system ever since that report was completed, which was two years ago. The 2020 election in Georgia was wide open for exploitation and cybersecurity attacks based on what the Halderman report reveals and what Raffensberger refused to do as Secretary of State for Georgia. Now it's coming out that Raffensberger filed an appeal just this week to not be required by Judge Totenberg in this case to testify and defend the system. This is the system that Raffensberger has been using with Georgia voters throughout the entire state, and the lawsuit against Dominion Voting System is supposed to get underway this January. Judge Totenberg is making the case a non-jury trial and recently ordered Raffensberger to testify on behalf of the current voting system and to defend it. But Raffensberger doesn't want to do that, and he is now appealing to the 11th Circuit Court. Now, remember this. Raffensberger told Donald Trump on a phone call in December of 2020 that his concerns over the election results and reports of flipped votes was completely unfounded and uncalled for. But now he's not taking time to go to the court to explain his reasoning or evidence for such a claim to Trump or essentially to the voters of Georgia, the state that he's supposed to be serving well. The 11th Circuit Court will rule on whether Raffensperger must testify this coming Friday. Okay, here is part three of the interview with Louisiana Congressman Clay Higgins and Truth in Media journalist Laura Logan. This is all about what Higgins has learned from FBI whistleblowers who came to him about how the federal government has involved itself in the events leading up to January 6th, the actual event itself, and then the subsequent dragnet that was launched in order to arrest and charge Trump supporters who got involved and sucked into the events that occurred within the Capitol building. Let me say the factions within our highest levels of federal law enforcement and and, and our FBI and, and DOJ and intelligence services, these corrupted men we're discussing, they could be more readily identified and more accurately described as domestic terrorists than than me. They're the ones treading upon my individual rights and freedoms. They're the ones spying on on Americans. They're the ones traveling 
great distances to to insert themselves into the lives of Americans that are just communicating freely, as is our right, uh, online or anywhere else at meetings as we congregate and gather. What about those who say your your right to gather and uh, and have a conversation doesn't give you a right to assault police officers and disrupt Congress and so on? I, I don't support battery on police officers or nor uh, nor violent disruption of of government operations. But I, I will remind everyone that a free American has a right to resist an unlawful arrest. Thanks for listening to this Daily Inc. update.